We have so many things to be thankful for this morning, and, and uh, last week I, I felt like I went a little bit long, but part of that was it was like 10 minutes of announcements and, and pleas uh, to, to you, to the church, to us, to, to be involved. So I want to tell you what happened. We actually had some guys step up and say, I am going to be a part of the safety team. So that is, can we just praise Jesus for... We have some, some men here that are willing to stand up and say, I'm going to help lead in this area, and I'm so excited about that. So if you did that, I want to say thank you uh, to you guys. For those of you that couldn't, that's okay, um, and we're, we're just hoping that all of us will participate, those of you who are part of the church. Um, if you're kind of sitting on the sidelines, just kind of going, I'm not really going to join, I'm not going to say I'm a part of this, I don't have to serve, um, that stinks, but uh, we'll... Uh, We'll hope that uh, we get those demons cast out of you eventually, but uh, we're, we're just glad that you're here and that you're hearing uh, the truth. So safety team, secondly, is this. I, I, I told you guys about uh, you know, our GRASP soccer program. Uh, it's actually started by another church. We're participating in that. We saw God doing some amazing work in that. Uh, and what I told you was that there was a number of kids who didn't have cleats or or uh, shin guards, and we raised, uh, I, the last I saw, it was $130. I'm pretty sure it was more than that. And so I, that is a huge answer to prayer. So thank you for giving towards that so that these kids could do that. Now, along with that, uh, the kids that we serve at Richmond Elementary went to the soccer tournament, and they won. So that, uh, bam, all right? Yeah, yeah. So representing outward, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. We're beating everybody. Um, we are winning. Um, in any case, uh, there's that. I have, I have other things to tell you about. Um, okay, I, I, th- I think I mentioned last week that, uh, so we, we went to the school district, and l- let me just tell you how this has happened before. We've done Thanksgiving, and uh, that we, we, we just had favor with the staff there at Richmond. And, and what we've come to find out is that at the time, that, that, that staff, those staff people are no longer there. At the time, we didn't go through the proper channels in order to get the school building, right? So we were there kind of uh, illegally undercover, you know. It was uh, kind of hush-hush maybe a little bit, but um, we didn't care. We were serving God, right? Um, so in any case, we, we didn't really know what the story was. We didn't really engage with that. Um, last year, we started kind of doing this uh, the right way. The school led us to that. This year, the school, uh, the school district came back and said, okay, it's going to cost $2,000 for you guys to use that building and another building in the district. And so we were like, um, uh, like um, okay, we're, we're getting students and families from you. We're serving the school district uh, by doing this. We're helping with these kids, got the grass soccer program, all of these things. Um, do you think that you could reduce that? And, and uh, at first, they said they could not. And so what happened was is that we had, we've been in talks with Richmond Elementary. So we're good friends with uh, the principal there, the office manager, fantastic people, love them. Fantas- we also love the school district, and we want to serve the school district. We want to serve our city in this way. And so we made some impassioned pleas. The school district advocated for it. I'm sorry, the school itself advocated for us. The boss, who is over top of that school, was advocating for us. Um, we talked to Salem Leadership Foundation, and I believe that they were advocating for us as well. And at the end of the day, one of the 
lead guys in the school district ended up calling Tim uh, Porter uh, to let him know that there will be no charge for the school district. Ah, oh, snap, right? That's amazing, right? And here's why that's, that's amazing, is because that was $2,000. We need to raise $5,000 right now. That would have been $7,000. Some of you are going, five grand? What the heck is going on around here? We don't know. This happens every year, all right? And so here, here's the thing. We believe that God can provide that. We believe that God can provide that. And so we're, we're praying that, uh, that you guys and the community come together to make this happen. It's a great position to be in. If there's no need, you can't help, right? So you get to be uh, someone who helps financially with this. We're going to raise $5,000. One way or another, we're going to do it. We're going to come up with those funds. And here's one of those reasons. I talked to Tim earlier in the week, and we give these kids gifts. Some of these kids don't get gifts for Christmas. Some of them. Not all of them, but some of them. Some of these families are like that. And he was, he was saying that there was like a dollar per kid for a gift. Now, we are representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We represent Jesus Christ, God himself, and I think we can do better than a dollar per toy. I just think that doesn't represent God very well. Now, we don't need gold-plated anything, right? This isn't, you know, we're not, never mind. I was going to make a political reference, but something about gold-plated, you know where I was going, but uh, (laughs) that's not us, all right? Um, But I, I just want you to know, I think we can do better than that. And you guys haven't done anything wrong, but I think let's do everything we can to make sure that we're giving out quality and that we're serving our community well in that. And by giving them high-quality toys, we represent well the God whom we serve. Okay? So I'm excited about all of those things. Um, and I think that's it for right now. Um, uh, we left off at the end of 1 Corinthians 5. I'd love for you to turn there with me. Um, my hope has been that you have left rather irritated over the last couple of weeks if you've been here. And the reason is, is because I believe that irritating passages bring about the most growth. So you, you have possibly heard many things before from the scriptures. They go in one ear and out the other if you have any familiarity with, with the word of God. And um, so I hope that when you leave, you're challenged in what, in what you think and what you feel and what you believe. 1 Corinthians 5 is talking about how, uh, or, uh, or yeah, how to remove people from the church, whether we should do so, how we should do that. And Paul's word to them was essentially, there's a guy doing something uh, really gross, and you guys should have acted on this. You guys should have acted on this whole idea of what he's doing, this sexual immorality, this this dysfunction within your church, and yet you did not do anything. And so what I told you over the last couple of weeks was that the Apostle Paul had written a letter prior to this letter, and he uh, essentially said, you should not be spending time with people who are engaged in sin. And so this church that received this letter uh, misunderstood that, and they said, uh, okay, well, then we'll just stop hanging out with people from the world. You know, and Paul said, I'm not at all talking about people from the world. And so we'll pick it up in verse 12. He says this in, in chapter 5. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? What, is, what business is it of mine to go and judge them, to go to them and say, you're a sinner, 
and you, you are, you're in sin right now, you need to stop sinning. Paul's saying, that's none of my business. That's not what I'm involved in. He says, uh, he says this, uh, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So we've been talking about this, and it's kind of abrasive because a lot of us know that we have sin in our lives. A lot of us know that we have stuff that's going on. And so what we talked about was this, is that like when, when we're a church who understands fully that every one of us is a sinner saved by grace and that on a regular basis, there's a process that has to happen, which is to be known and to know other people, meaning, meaning you don't just know kind of who I am about my job or whatever, but you know my junk. You know my stuff. You know about the things that are going on in my life. And so what we're talking about here is we're saying we're going to be a church that's instead of hiding, we are sharing where we're really at. And what this, what this does for us is it keeps us from hypocrisy. Now, that's where we basically left off. It keeps us from hypocrisy. But what's really going on with this church What's going on with this church? This church suffers from something that is, that is very similar to us. They go back and forth between hostility with culture and syncretism with culture. What is syncretism? Syncretism is essentially peer pressure, giving in to peer pressure, right? There's a hostility about them, but then there's also this syncretism about them. They're giving in to what's going on in the world around them. And Paul is, is basically confronting them. I believe he's confronting them on both fronts. But isn't that our same problem? Don't we all suffer from this? This hostility towards our world. If we're, if we're, if we're a Christian, we have this hostility towards the people around us, the things that they vote for, the people that they vote for, the, the things that they're in support of. There's a hostility. You see it online all of the time in social media contexts where, where you just go, oh my gosh. I mean, you could read a few posts uh, that Christians have posted and you would just say, I just cringe with the idea that I'm even associated with this person who claims to be a Christian and yet there is no grace at all. And really what's happening is that they think that they're going to somehow influence our culture through their own arrogance. Somehow they believe they're going to influence our culture through massive arrogance. But then there's another kind of arrogance that's taking place. Remember, remember Paul has called them out on arrogance and pride, the idea that they think that they're so smart that they have it all figured out. Christians come across this way all the time. There's also another level of arrogance that Christians go back and forth in between. And it's syncretism. It's looking at the Word of God and it's saying, you know, I don't think that God meant that. I don't think that that's as important. We, we set aside what God has to say and we say, you know what, that's not really that big of a deal. I'm not really going to do that. If we're even aware of the Scriptures and what the Scriptures have to say, we oftentimes are just, are just like, you know, I don't even know what it says. I just, I'm a Christian. And what we'd say about that oftentimes is that's American Christianity. It's the, this idea that I, like, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. 
or I'm a Christian because I was raised that way, when in reality, all that we are is that we're Christian in name only. There really has been no life change because obedience uh, is the activity of faith. Because when you say that I have faith in God and when, when you say I have trusted in Jesus Christ, the outworking of that, the reality of that is that my life is progressively becoming like Jesus. I never attain to that until I see Jesus face to faith, face when I see him at the end of days, the day of the Lord. I, I will never attain to that until he is the one who brings me there. But yet still we are to be working towards this idea of obedience, because obedience is the activity of faith. And yet many of us, in our arrogance, set aside obedience and say, you know what? It's too difficult. There's parts of Scripture that I, that I wish weren't there. I'm not saying that's what you're saying. I'm saying that's what I'm saying, right? And I have to teach this stuff, right? Like, that's, that's kind of concerning, isn't it? Like, there's stuff that I wish wasn't in the Bible. There's stuff that I know is abrasive. There's stuff that I know is like, man, if I, if I just told you straight up what the Bible said right now, like you would just leave. You just flat out leave. And so what do we do? We synchronize with our culture. We say, you know what, it's just too hard. I'm not going to address that. I'm not going to say what I believe. I'm not going to talk about it. We synchronize with our culture and we say, you know what? I'm just going to start going along with my culture. So there's hostility and there's syncretism. Both of them come from arrogance and pride to say that I know what's best. And we've missed entirely what God has for us. We've missed it. If everyone in this room who claims to be a Christian would just understand and say to themselves, I have missed it. Just say, I I've missed it. I've missed it somewhere. I've missed it in my life. I don't really know what's up. I don't understand the scriptures. There's parts of my life that I'm saying, God, you can't talk to me. You, you, you can't talk to me about that area. I'm not changing that area. I'm not going there. It's pride and arrogance to tell the God of the universe, the creator who created you, who gives you breath, to tell him, I'm not going to hear you. I'm going to show a lack of grace to my culture or I'm going to be overly gracious and never tell the truth. That's the problem that Paul's dealing with here. He's saying, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? And so what's the answer to that? If we're not to judge outsiders, then what, what is the problem? Paul, Paul's going to get at another problem that's going to illuminate, for, illuminate it for us. Chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So what Paul just said there is he said this. When somebody from the community has a problem with somebody else from the church community, so two church members, they've got an issue with one another, do you dare take that before a secular court. And so what he's talking about is he's confronting this church, and what he's confronting them on is lawsuits between believers. Now, let me clarify something. 
I don't believe, and I, and I, I believe there's every indication that this is not a criminal matter. What this is not saying, let me make it very clear from the very beginning. If somebody in this church has broken the law, if somebody in this church has broken the law and they, and, and, and they have not been reconciled with the authorities, we would be a church that would turn them in, okay? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that we're going we're gonna to hide this from the governing authorities. The Apostle Paul deals with that elsewhere in Romans, the governing authorities have been put there to make wrongdoers fear. Wrongdoers, even among the church, should be accountable to the governing authorities. Okay, what he's talking about here is a civil matter. Let, let's let's, let's put, some, put some legs to that. What's a civil matter in, in a church? Let's say that you are somebody who uh, does work. You do uh, construction work. And you've done a shoddy job. You went to, went to uh, someone's house who goes to the church. You did some work. It's completely shoddy. The roof leaked. Some, something else happened. It, it just doesn't work. The person from the community is saying, what the heck? <laughs> you need to give me my money back. Or I'm not paying you. I'm, or, or, or something along those lines. That, that's conceivable. It's happened before. Not necessarily here. What if you're somebody who sells cars? And instead of Instead of selling quality cars, you cover things up. Instead of, instead of saying exactly what's wrong with this car, you cover things up. I don't know that this is happening in our church at all. I don't know if you sell cars, so if you're convicted, it's your own fault, all right? Uh, <laughs> maybe you should look into this, all right? But this has happened. You roll back the odometer, you put some Bondo here, Bondo there, say, ah, oh, it's never been in a wreck, when you know the thing's totaled right? It's, it's stuff like that. And so they're legitimate concerns, but they're civil concerns. I loaned you money and you never paid me back. And so what's happening is this, is that they're going to court with one another and they're taking each other to court. And so Paul says this, verse 2, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try Trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So you could get wrapped up in a couple of things that, that, oh, we're to judge angels? Like, what's that all about? Don't dive into that because it's not clear what Paul is saying. All that Paul is saying is that there will be some level of authority that God's people have over angels. We don't know what that looks like. Just leave it at that. That's not the point. Paul's saying this. He's saying, listen, in the future, you're going to have this incredible wisdom to be able to discern between these things. You should have a level of wisdom today in order to be able to discern between these issues within the church, and yet you're taking it to an outside court. You're taking it to other people to have them look into this and to have them discern between you guys. And so he says, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Why are you taking these, he says in verse 1, before the unrighteous? Why are you taking these to people who do not live by our same moral standard, do not uh, agree that God is the authority in all things? Why would you do that? 
He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? What's been going on is that they're saying they have such great wisdom. Oh, I'm a follower of Paul. I'm a follower of Apollos. I'm really into Greek literature. I'm, I'm philosophy. I'm, I'm very smart, right? And Paul says to them, he says, if you're so smart, why can't you judge between what's going on here? Why can't you figure out what's taking place here? If you think you're so smart, then how come you can't discern between these things? That's a good question. He says, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Paul's saying this. He's saying, you guys are supposed to be family. You're supposed to be people who are a part of a family, and yet what's happening is that you're dragging each other into court. You're dragging, and you're suing each other. There's lawsuits going on right and left. That sounds a little bit similar to today, does it not? There's lawsuits all over the place. If our church was larger, I have no doubt that we would have more of that in our church. I don't know of anything going on like this, but I can tell you that as we continue to go, we're going to end up in that situation. And Paul is saying here that the problem here is not so much that there's a disagreement. The problem is that they even have lawsuits at all. Verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You're already defeated because you even went to court with your brother or your sister. You're defeated. The church is defeated. Do you know what Paul's getting at? You have no influence. There's no influence. You're not influencing the culture in a way that says, uh, we operate differently. You're not influencing the culture in a positive way. What's actually taking place is you're turning people off to the gospel by the way that you're living and the way that you, that you, that you say that you live. There's this, this hostility between you. And he says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So this is the ultimate outworking of an arrogant church. And I, and I just want to ask you, are we an arrogant church? Are we a church that has hostility towards our neighbors or syncretism towards them? Are we a church that is so arrogant that we think that my needs are best? Are we a church that is so arrogant to believe that somehow what I do and how I act doesn't matter? I want to tell you, I think that there's a lot of people who are Christians who are happy about the way that our election went. And the reason is 
is because they believe that there will be less what they perceive to be as persecution. But I want to tell you that Christianity does not flourish without persecution. Because it's very easy for anyone to say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a part of that. Because under persecution, real persecution, it doesn't go that way. Oh, you're a Christian? You're despised. Oh, you're a Christian? I hate you. Oh, you're a Christian? Whatever. And here, here's the thing, is that we can walk around and we can say, you know what, I'm, I'm a Christian all day long, and yet what's going on is that there is no influence, there is no discernible difference between us and the people in our culture. And so our culture can look at me and you, and they can say, you're a hypocrite. The culture can look at me and you, and they, and they can say, you're so jacked up. Because this, they see the way that we're living. They see the fact that there's no love between us in spite of the fact that Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. John 13, 35. But is there real love? Here's how you can tell that there's real love. How irritated do you get with your brother or sister in Christ? How irritated do you get when you're in a community group, if you go to a community group, with the people that are around you? Is there love for those people? How do you, how do you talk about the people in your church? Is there a level of irritation with them? Or is, is there a genuine love? Is there real influence in our culture saying, no, there's actually a difference between me and you? What Paul is saying is he's saying, there's no discernible difference between you and the culture. You're either taking on what they, ha what they say is true, or you're just outright being hostile towards them. So we're bouncing off each guardrail. And we're becoming people who are not effective in what God has called us to do. And so Paul says this, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. What if in every business dealing that you did between Christians, and really between anybody, you said, I'm willing to take a hit in this way because I am a child of God. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather just agree to be defrauded? Why not rather be somebody who just says, you know what, for the name of Christ, for, for the sake of of the Christian community, I am going to be somebody who's not going to take this person to court. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to go to them and say, with Matthew 18 in mind, Matthew 18 speaking about if your brother sins against you, go to him privately. If he doesn't listen to you, take another person along with you so that you can win your brother, so that you can go back to them and say, there's an issue here between us. 
why wouldn't we be concerned with those things? I, 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 can, I cannot tell you how many times I am, I am just frustrated with the things that I hear. I'm frustrated with the stuff that happens in our community sometimes because I'm hearing, here is this person who claims to be a Christian, they go to our church, and yet they're acting this way in culture. And you know what? At the same time, I have to be frustrated with myself. I, I hired a, a business to do some work on my house. And um, I'm not going to tell you what part of the house because you probably know, but... Uh, I hired them to do some work, and at the end of the day, they didn't provide what I thought they were going to provide. So at the end of the job, they said, you owe us more money. And um, I said, wait a second. You didn't provide everything you said you were going to provide, and I owe you more money? <laughs> Tell me how this works, all right? So I said, I flipped into a construction mat, all right? And um, if you knew construction mat, or if you've known me, I'm sorry, all right? But construction mat is not a very nice guy sometimes, all right? Because you're dealing with a bunch of, of roughnecks and I'm a sinner, right? And so I, I switch into, a, I, I, can, I can negotiate pretty good, right? I say, okay, uh, uh, listen, um, tell you what, um, I won't charge you for what you didn't provide, um, and uh, then uh, you can uh, cut that out, and so you're, you're ahead. So he comes back to me a few days later, and he says, well, I talked to my boss about that, and he's not very happy, and so I'm, again, construction, Matt. Uh, do you think I'm very happy? <laughs> I don't have everything you said you were going to provide. Do you think I'm happy? I'm a pastor, right? I'm getting a little agitated. I'm a little, I'm a little hot under the collar. And in the middle of that conversation, I, I realized I'm right, but why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Why am I still doing this? I don't even care about the money. Why do I you know what I care about? My pride. You shorted me something. It's coming out of your tail end. I'm not going to pay you more. So my pride's in the way. So I, I finally, I stop myself in the middle of this conversation and, and I realize I'm a Christian. I'm representing Christ. I represent Outward Church in a major way. And I just had to stop and I said, hey, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. If you think I owe you that, go ahead and charge me. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Whatever you want to charge me, I will pay. Okay? If you, if you think that's fair, that's fine. I will pay whatever you send me as an invoice. So in the end... He sends me an invoice for half of what he believed I owed. Did I feel like I owed him that? No. Did I pay it? I did. Because of this, why not rather be wronged? 
Why not rather be defrauded? There's no discernible influence when all we ever do is look like our culture. If, if all I'm ever doing is looking exactly like the people around me, there's a serious problem with that. And there's no real influence in our culture. And we wonder why. We don't see people say, holy cow, there's something amazing about you because of this. We're not the salt of the earth. We're not the city on a hill, like Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. We're not salty anymore. There's nothing different about me. I have no influence in my culture because I'm just like my culture. I fight with contractors the same way that contractors fight with contractors. I don't look like a Christian contractor. I look like Matt, construction jerk. But there's a real possibility. There's a real possibility. Instead of having lawsuits among ourselves, instead of having issues that are constantly coming up where it's just like, Oh, my goodness, like, it's just one thing after another. The church is as jacked up as anybody else. Instead of that, there's a new way to have influence. Look at what Paul says here. It seems out of place. Verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I think Paul says that because he's saying, Hey, you're, you're allowing the unrighteous to judge you, and you should not be allowing them to do that because they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They do not have faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I think Paul says that. He's, he's, he's kind of reminding them that these are the unrighteous. And so he starts listing off a bunch of problems, a bunch of sins, that people who are hostile to their world can start saying, yeah, that's what they are. Yeah, that's what they are. Here's what he says. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Oh, yeah, the sexually immoral, they're unrighteous. And then he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters. Dang, those darn idolaters. Uh, nor adulterers. Yeah, those guys. Nor men who practice homosexuality. Oh, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's right, Paul. That's why we shouldn't be doing this. And so Paul says, and such were some of you. You know what he just said? You bunch of punks. Yeah, I said that. You're going to walk around pointing your finger at the culture? Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah, look at this. Look at what you did. You were in the exact same place. And such were some of you. The only people that can walk around arrogant, the only people who can walk around and act like, they don't, like, like their stuff doesn't stink, are people who have not read these verses and said, that is me. That is me. That is, that's, that's who I am. Notice something else that Paul does. He starts off with egregious sin. The sin that we all recognize is, oh yeah, that's a bad sin. Oh yeah, that's a bad sin. Oh yeah, that's a bad sin. 
And then it gets a little closer to home. Uh, drunkenness, uh, yeah, that sounds pretty bad too. It's not, that, not as bad. Oh, greedy, oh, reviling, slandering people. That's, that's hitting, a, swindling people. Paul just said that they're defrauding each other. They're swindlers. And what Paul just said is this. When you make categories in your mind and say, oh, the sexual sinners are really bad, but you know what? My issue, my stuff isn't really that big of a deal. Arrogance just continues to come. It would just spew arrogance. I'm not quite that bad. But here's the thing. Sexual sin is the type of sin that keeps you out of the kingdom of God. And swindling is the type of sin that keeps you out of the kingdom of God without Jesus Christ saving you. There is nobody, there is no one who has a leg to stand on. And what he's saying here is he's saying there's arrogance and pride. You're going to these people who have nothing in common with you except for one thing. You're both sinners. But listen to this. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. See, guys, arrogance eliminates influence. Your arrogance will eliminate your ability to influence your culture. Influence can only come in the context of grace. As long as you think that your sins are little, as long as you think that you don't have much, there's gonna be a problem but let me give you a better vision. What does it look like to be a people that have a vision of what it looks like to influence our culture? What could that look like? There's two passages I want to show you before we close here. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 14 this is talking about God's people. God begins to do a work in these people's life. And this is what is said. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you saying, surely God is in you and there is no other God besides him. Can you imagine what would it be like if our culture no longer looked at us and said, what a bunch of arrogant jerks. They're suing each other. They're hostile towards us, and then half the time, they're just absolute hypocrites. What would it look like if people looked at us and they said, surely 
God is in your presence and there is no other because I see you doing things that I've never seen before. I've never seen forgiveness take place in the context of a community in that way. You just let five grand go just like that? Yeah, why? He's my brother. He didn't have the money. I don't care about that. What I care about is my brother. What do you mean you just forgave that person? They cheated on you. I cheated on God. And such were some of you. But I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified. That's what God did for me. And so I could do that for my spouse. But that's crazy. I know. But I have a great marriage now. Surely God is in you. Because I've never seen that before. And I've never seen a better marriage after a disaster. Surely God is in you. Don't you want our culture to say that? To recognize that? Oh, may it be so. May it be said of us. Zechariah chapter 8. A similar situation. God says, He says, This is the way that I've, I've, I've treated you, your people, and your sin. And now things, things are changing. This is what's going to take place. He says in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, These are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your uh, gates judgments that are true. And make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. What's he saying? Don't be a hypocrite anymore. Walk in truth, speak the truth, know and be known each other. Be people who give right judgments. Do these things. And then he says this in verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. Do cities tend to be conservative? No. All right, you can look at the map, right? The, the electoral map, right? Even the inhabitants of many cities. These are people who do not go for what God wants often. Do not confuse conservatism with what God wants. Make sure that's clear. Even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. These are people who don't know God. They want to go to Jerusalem so that they know God. They want to entreat the favor of the Lord. And so, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the, from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, a God-fearer, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. It's, it's the difference between Paul saying, like, you have so much jacked up stuff in your church, you're not even addressing egregious sin. 
And then, when you guys have a fight, you go to the culture and you say, hey, would you decide between us? And, and Paul's saying, that is so messed up. Not only are you influenced by the culture, but you're worse than the culture. But we have another vision. How could influence flow from God's people? Just from this phrase. And such were some of you. I don't have a leg to stand on because I'm Matt the jerk contractor. And such were some of you. That includes me. And that's not even the half of it. I am somebody who has been washed, who's been sanctified, who's been justified. And so I do not stand in arrogance over my culture. All I'm doing is I'm coming and just saying, I'm, I'm somebody who's messed up. I'm somebody who has just as many problems, but the only difference is this, is that slowly but surely, I'm walking in obedience with God because I know what he's done for me. Slowly and surely, I'm walking in obedience. And what happens is this, is that we walk in obedience. And we walk in obedience on a grand scale. And we walk in obedience by serving our neighbors because we believe that they deserve more. They believe that they deserve justice in our community. And so we're serving at Richmond Elementary. And we're serving at Richmond Elementary. And we're serving for eight years until we end up having a problem. And the principal and the uh, office manager and other people in that are saying, we need outward church to come serve because they have offered themselves to us over and over again and we need their help and so they're going to the school district and they're saying we want their help and would you please work with them and my only hope is this is that they're at least saying this under their breath surely God is with them and there is no other do you want influence or do you want arrogance in our culture? That's what Paul is confronting here. Do you want to be influential or do you want to stand in judgment over everyone else? Is your, is your job killing you? The people you have to deal with, are they, are they frustrating you? They don't stand for Christian values. They don't do this. They don't do that. Do you want to stand in arrogance or do you want to stand in influence? And such were some of you, but Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died for you and he gave his life for you. And when you live for him and you live in that knowledge that I did not deserve the grace that he gave me, you can live in influence instead of arrogance. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm praying uh, for our church that, Lord, that we would be people who are fully secure in the reality that you are the one that has saved us. We did not save ourselves. 
You are the one who brings about change. You are the one who has done this. God, I, I pray that that humility would uh, pervade our lives and cause us to be people who not only get along with one another, but that we get along with uh, the organizations within our city and that we are people who have great relationships. God, I'm praying that even the most difficult of circumstances, the people that hate Christians the most, I pray, God, we're praying for this. We're praying for a new vision that someday, somehow, that before the end of days, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, willingly or not, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, I'm praying that before that day, that you would cause us to be effective and so effective that there will be people who have been hostile towards us because of our hostility and arrogance towards them that would turn around and say, surely God is with them and I want to know him. God, may we be a church who joins with you in what you're already doing. May we be people who believe the supernatural power of you, the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. May you be the one who changes us and changes our city. May we get to be along for the ride, saying yes to Jesus and no to sin, saying yes to Jesus and no to arrogance, saying yes to Jesus and no to everything that we feel, saying yes to Jesus and what our culture says, saying yes to Jesus and no to everything that hinders so that we can walk with you. Lord, we ask you for this in your name. We pray, amen.